Good morning. I'm thinking about uh, this subject of how we change uh, quite a bit these days uh, for various reasons. Uh, one reason is um, I'm trying to change. Um, another reason is um, I am speaking uh, quite a bit right now in various places on this question of how people change, uh, not only here, but week after this coming week in Pennsylvania, and then uh, at Shepherd's Institute the end of February. And uh, I'm thinking a lot about this and, and trying to understand well, it's also, I'm thinking about this subject because I talk to people sometimes and uh, talk to myself too. But um, I just realized there's a lot of uh, challenges and questions related to how people change. Uh, so this morning, I confess, uh, acknowledge, uh, that I'm not speaking directly about how people change, uh, but instead I am talking about uh, some foundational issues uh, that are related to inadequate views of some issues uh, about God in ourselves in the fall and the effects of the fall and um, these are uh, questions that issues that uh, really when a person has the wrong view or the wrong answer to these questions uh, it really hinders their ability to grow. So uh, John mentioned there in his comments that uh, it would be nice if we could change overnight while we're sleeping. And actually, I, I do think God works in us while we're sleeping. I do. Um, I'm pretty sure he does. Uh, quite sure. Uh, but, but that doesn't result in us being a totally different person in the morning. There might be some insights. Um, I'll, I'll give one example. Um, I've more than once uh, prayed before I went to sleep about something I was trying to understand better, and I just did not have any insight or any answer to what I was praying about. And then when I woke up, it was crystal clear to me what the answer was to the thing that I had no insight into when I went to sleep. And um, I'm not sure what all went on while I was sleeping. Uh, but I, I do think God works when we're sleeping, but He works when we're awake too. But it is obvious in Scripture and, and in our experience, uh, and in experiences in Scripture, I mean in statements too, that uh, people are not 
yet perfected. They don't get totally perfected in conversion. So there are a number of factors, reasons for this. So this morning, I'm talking about God's purposes in creation and how Adam and Eve fell, which the way they fell is the way we fall, and what God is doing to redeem and grow us. Uh, I'm talking about these things as a basis for being able to talk about how we change. So, first of all, God's purposes in creation. So I have three things that I'm focusing on here, and there are other purposes too probably, but I'm focusing on these three. And uh, the three I'm talking about, focusing on, uh, I'm focusing on them because it's easy to have wrong views about these three items. So the first one I have is that uh, God's, one of God's purposes in, in creation is so that he could love people. He created people so that he could love them. He created them out of love. Now, I've, I've heard it said that uh, God, God, what did God create? Well, he created so that people could love him. Okay, now that, that might sound good, but um, what I think immediately is that sounds pretty selfish. His primary reason was so people could love him. Well, I'm sure God is happy that people love him. But I don't think that God had to have people love him so that he could feel complete or, or be okay with himself. Does that make sense? I just don't think that's what who God is. And so to say that God created so that uh, people could experience his love, uh, he created out of love, is not the same as saying God created humans so he could be loved. So we are created in God's image, the Bible says, and that might mean a number of things. I'll talk about that as we go along in future sermons. But the one thing that means is that we're created like God in a way that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. That there are things about humans that are like God such as we, we have minds, we have emotions, we have desires. We have uh, the ability to choose. We have the ability to cooperate with God. All of these things I'm mentioning are created in the image of God functions characteristics. We have the ability to believe things, uh, to believe things in our minds and in what's called our hearts. <clears throat> that I smile because that heart thing is fairly hard to uh, define. Where is it? 
Is it the thing that beats in the chest or is it somewhere else located in the soul? Well, what is the soul? Okay, it's okay if we can answer all these questions here. Uh, we do know, even though some of these questions are hard, that, that there's some reality here that the Bible talks about, and we can uh, understand these things to some extent. So all of these capacities that God created us with in his image are exercised by God toward us out of his love, and we are able to respond to, to him because of the way he created us. So he created us out of love and gave us the ability to live a full, productive life in relationship with him and others, to live a full, productive life in his kingdom, doing kingdom of God things, a productive life for him and for others that blesses God and blesses others. Uh, the second purpose I have is uh, so Adam and Eve could grow to maturity. Now, th this might, um, you might wonder, what in the world is he talking about? Um, so one of the difficulties for Adam and Eve is that they were perfectly holy, but not perfectly mature. I mean by that, they, they had not yet learned fully how to, uh, how to bring the desires God had created in their hearts, how to bring those into, exercise them, I'm trying to think while I'm talking. They had not yet learned fully how to bring their desires into um, to God and make choices out of these desires that fulfilled God's will, God's purposes for them. And this is obvious in the fall. Because, because uh, Eve had a desire to experience more, to know more, to understand more, to experience more. But in her choice, she did not bring her desires to God. She exercised the desire to know more apart from uh, apart from her relationship with God, somehow she forgot. Um, she did she did not live in a fully uh, mature manner, spiritually mature manner in the temptation. And so her sin and Adam's sin interrupted their growth toward maturity. And uh, they, they needed to be redeemed. 
And some, God had to intervene somehow to get them back on the track of uh, growth and trust in him. And the lack of trust is part of the reason that Eve made this choice. I'm digging myself into a deep hole here, and I'm not following my notes at all, so uh, we will come back to some of these things as we go along. The third purpose was uh, God created Adam and Eve for the purpose of them exercising dominion uh, with him, authority with him in ruling his world. Uh, God intended to give Adam and Eve the opportunity to exercise dominion with him in cooperation with him over God's creation. This is in Genesis 1.28, to uh, have authority over uh, the earth, exercise dominion in the world over created order. And God has meaningful work for us to do. And uh, we might struggle with what this work is exactly for us personally. But this, this is his uh, grand idea that he will share his creative abilities with people he created, and then they can cooperate with him in ruling the universe, in, in managing uh, his world under his authority. That was his intention. So this is a purpose. So, so we worship God, and as we worship God, we don't worship creation, but as we worship God, and seek his will, we can discern how to best live in his world and use, and use his creation. So <clears throat> this is one little side note application to all of that, is that it is our responsibility, those of us who have, um, I'll use the word authority over people, have responsibility over other people, then it is our responsibility to help them develop discernment about uh, what God is calling them to do in the world. Uh, we, we are called to help people exercise dominion within their physical space and responsibility. Uh, that, that's part of our calling, uh, parents and pastors and teachers, so on. Okay, the story of the fall. Uh, so I'm going to read here a little bit. Uh, it's easier to read this than to try to just speak through it. The saddest story in the Bible is the story of Eve's response to Satan's suggestion that there was something worth knowing and having that the Creator was withholding from her. Imagine with me Eve's mind racing to and fro 
in frenzied activity, trying to resolve the disquieting and beyond-reach mystery of the fruit, and her heart fondling this new and intriguing possibility. She thought, there is more knowledge to experience if I eat this fruit. And then she thought the opposite. No, the Creator says, I will die if I partake. And into this yes and no struggle of Eve's mind and heart, Satan whispered, Your Creator claims to be all-knowing and all-loving, but by withholding the fruit, he has proven that he doesn't have your best in mind. Trust me. And then scripture says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So that's an abbreviated form of the story. Uh, some of that I use my imagination. So this, in this story, we see Eve's desire to experience more. And I assume, and I think I'd be right, that all of us here uh, at least have some moments when we would like to experience something we aren't experiencing. It's something outside of our present ability to experience, perhaps our situations or our uh, amount of knowledge we have of something uh, would not allow us to experience what we're considering. Uh, And then I would say that, well, uh, the desire to experience more is a God-created desire. That's not sinful. Then you have the lies of the devil. And then you have Eve's doubts about the goodness of God. He's somehow restricting her. And if he loved her, he would not withhold this from her. And and then her failure to surrender to God's command I'm using the word surrender intentionally. So now I'm going to uh, causes and effects of the fall. So there are many, there are many things, uh, many of the things that are true for Adam and Eve in the fall are true for us when we sin. So these are just things to uh, consider. So first, at the fall, Adam and Eve became alienated or separated within themselves. And I'll try to explain that. Uh, So they they knew truth. God told told them some truth. Um, They apparently, I think this is true, they loved God. And they knew that God loved them. And then they had this faculty that they could make choices. So 
they knew something and they had love for God and they had this ability to choose. Uh, so here's one way to think about this. As long as, long as their um, knowledge of what God wanted, we call that truth, and their love for God and the choices they made, as long as these three agreed, they would do the thing that was right. They wouldn't sin. So somehow inside them, uh, they made a choice that violated their knowledge that the Creator had said they should not eat. They violated their feelings of love for God and their desire to please God. And uh, the way the Bible talks about what I just described, the separation of truth from love for God, uh, from right choices, uh, the way the Bible describes, describes this is sin or unholy. And so in order, I'm just saying, in order for them to do this, somehow inside of them, the knowledge they had and the love they had had to get separated somehow. They had to forget God. They had to begin to believe that God was withholding something good. They had to make a what we would call, the Bible describes as a selfish choice to eat because of, as a result of failing to surrender to God. Um, and they did this out of, out of a God-created uh, desire to know more and experience more. And this is basically the way we all sin. It's something we know, then we have a desire, and we uh, feel a need to do something that uh, we know is not good. Maybe we kind of forget it's not good, but this is all something goes on inside us that uh, we get separated somehow. The truth and love for God gets separated somehow inside of us in the midst of the choice or temptation to choose. So second, uh, Adam and Eve became alienated from God in the fall. And so uh, when a person uh, makes a choice that they know is not right, uh, the result of it is this thing called guilt. Uh, There's a sense of failure. I haven't done the right thing. Uh, there's also the issue of shame. They hid themselves. Uh, so guilt is, is the feeling we have about things that we do that we know are wrong. And shame is the feeling we have um, because we're thinking about who we are that did that thing. That who we are, something's wrong with who we are. 
That's what shame is. And so they, they felt they were. They didn't just feel it, but they felt and were alienated from God uh, as a result of their choice, their sin. And, th- and this is the same thing that happens for us. The third thing, they became alienated from each other. And so we know the story. Uh, This is obvious. They were alienated from each other. It's obvious from their responses to each other. So when God asked, um, where are you and what has happened? Um, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And... uh, I've often wondered, uh, okay, before the fall, before this happened, before, uh, I mean, it's bad enough that they sinned, but now, but now, uh, this, this wonderful woman that Adam had, that God gave him, uh, all of a sudden, she's not so wonderful. Now, according to Adam, she is my problem. If it wasn't for her, I'd be doing fine. And, and, and so God, it's that woman you gave me that's the problem here. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but how, how do you think, how do you think Adam and Eve got along for the next 24 hours? After, after he blamed her for this problem of his behavior, how did they get along? Well, I would guess not so good. Uh, somehow, um, and they didn't have anybody to talk to either, you know, to help them process this thing that for some reason he blamed her but this, this is, I'm just saying, this is really bad. This is bad. This is not good. It's not good at all. Uh, the fourth, <clears throat> at the fall, they became alienated from the rest of creation. We see this in God's judgment, in his statement. that Now the ground is going to uh, produce thistles and it's gonna, you're going to have to work a whole lot harder. Things just will not work well. They're not going to work like they did. And um, so I'll just say that if you're like I am, <clears throat> I, I, can be, um, I can be a fairly positive person. I can I want to claim that. <laughs> but I can also be fairly um, negative in this way that I can think there's a lot of things in this world that do not work right. They can't work right. They are not going to work right. They can't work right because everything has been affected by the fall. Okay, now I'm going to back up and say it's not true that nothing ever works right. That is not true. I'm just saying that if you think that you can get up in the morning and everything is going to be perfect today, I don't know what universe you live in, 
That is not how this works. That doesn't mean we're hopeless or that all of life is a disaster. This is just the result of the fall, that things are tainted. And we are tainted too, which we'll talk about as we go along. And so there's, there's a process here that uh, we have to engage in to grow and uh, respond well to the, to the things that are affected by the fall. So they, were, they became alienated from creation in some sense, and uh, things didn't work the way they had before. Uh, the fifth one, when they sinned, they failed to exercise dominion or co-rulership with God according to God's righteous intentions. So uh, one way to describe uh, what I mean by that is that they failed, they failed to do on earth what God willed in heaven, or they failed to do on earth in their daily choices what God wished. And when people do that, that is a failure to cooperate with God, a failure to exercise dominion uh, within our decision-making, within uh, the choices we make, uh, within the space we occupy, See if I can describe that a little more. Children are not responsible in a home to exercise dominion over the home. They are not, they are not the rulers of the home. I mean, they want to be, but they're not. The parents, the parents are the ones that have God-given responsibility in the home. And, and they are asked, expected, to exercise godly dominion, respectful, loving dominion in the home. And this is true uh, in the world, in government. I believe that's what it's supposed to be. And in church and uh, in, in business and schools and whatever, family, uh, that we exercise, we cooperate with God in exercising um, righteous dominion. And they did not do that when they sinned. Uh, The sixth one I have is that in their sin, uh, the process of growth toward Full moral maturity was interrupted. Okay, so I'm going to make a statement here that uh, sinlessness and maturity are not the same thing. The fact that they were sinless is not the same as saying that they were mature. They still needed to grow. They had room to grow. It might take a while for you to think about. Uh, they had not developed a fully mature understanding of the need to trust God. 
uh, full understanding of how to resist whatever the serpent was doing. Um, I'll go on. And the last one I have, they, they became separated from the kingdom of God. So God had, had uh, intentions for them, desires for them, a way that he wanted them to live out kingdom life. That's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And they failed to do it. So when we are living for self and practicing sin, we are unable to develop moral maturity. We are unable to become who God created us to become. As people created in his image, we are unable to maintain healthy relationships. We are unable to cooperate with others in God's kingdom work. And we are unable to exercise dominion in accordance with God's command in Genesis 1.28. And that's what I mean by uh, them becoming separated from the kingdom of God. I must hurry. God's response to the fall, he pursued them, he clothed them with skin which... Uh, turns out to be a type of um, a method, redemption method, of foreshadowing Christ. Uh, well, foreshadowed first in the Old Testament with sacrifices. God promised a Savior. Um, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and he said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, that's a little bit of a convoluted statement. So uh, what this verse teaches is uh, I have three things. Uh, the first, that Satan is the enemy of the human race which is the reason for the enmity between Satan and the woman. And the second thing, there will be enmity between Satan's seed, Satan's people, and the woman's seed, God's people. And third, that a seed of the woman, a human being, referring to Christ, would deliver a death blow to Satan. But when doing so would be bruised himself, which I believe refers to Christ's death on the cross. So here are some truths about Christ's work that connect directly with the believer's growth and change, and I will say these very briefly. Uh, Christ is the way into the kingdom. This is very clear in Scripture. Uh, like in John 3, various verses, many, many places. But truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. 
And so to be born again is the way we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, faith and repentance are the human requirements, the cooperating with God requirements of being born again, becoming kingdom of God members, faith and repentance. Uh, these are very basic uh, truths. I think we all know them. We've heard these things many times. Um, Christ frees, redeems, or frees people from the guilt of sin. He frees, Christ frees people from the practice of sin. And some of that may happen in conversion. Some of that may happen over a period of time for various reasons. I won't go into now. So Christ frees from the guilt of sin and from the practice of sin. And Christ frees us from our, I'm going to use the word paralysis, that, that we are just helpless. And uh, I realize that some of us may feel helpless about our temptations or sins. And there are reasons for that. But Christ is able to do a work in his people to free them from the paralysis, their, their inability to uh, cooperate with him. And Christ restores in his people the ability to do kingdom work. And I don't mean by that it restores in them the ability to do perfect kingdom work or do, the, do kingdom work in a perfect way. But God is at work in his people, gifting them and, and working, growing them in their gifting and in their skills, developing of skills and uh, revealing what he wants them to do by his spirit through other people, through scripture, so on. He restores the ability to do kingdom work. And this, this, is, uh, this makes it possible for people to fulfill uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, to go and make disciples, to... Uh, baptize, I'll use the word immerse people. I don't, I'm not talking about water baptism. To immerse people in the presence and power of God and Scripture. And to teach people to do whatever it is that God wants them to do. Uh, in Matthew, it is described as uh, teaching people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And so this, this is what equips people, makes it, this, the ability to do these things is the result of God's work in us as kingdom members. Uh, the last item I have here is that Christ brings Jews and Gentiles together. Um, <clears throat> so I've been thinking, actually the, uh, the intermediate Sunday school lesson, 
last Sunday was supposed to be on the subject of the Jews and Gentiles in Paul's, Paul's travels and, and uh, his emphasis on this issue. And we didn't have last Sunday's lesson, so I'm going to uh, shock the students this morning and talk about that for a little bit at the beginning. This is a big issue in the Bible, is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles and the relationship they can have with God. And uh, we know the Old Testament is primarily about the Jews as the people of God. There were some Gentiles who uh, came in. Uh, Some interesting stories about that. And then we get to the New Testament, and uh, it's very clear that that uh, Gentiles are invited in, which most of us are Gentiles. And some of us have some Jewish heritage. And uh, God's purpose in this, in Christ, is that all people are of the same family. Jews and Gentiles can belong to the same family. And this family is the family of God. So that's, that's a big subject, too. So the summary, uh, God created Adam and Eve out of love with the intention that they would cooperate with him in ruling his universe and grow toward moral and emotional maturity. And the fall interrupted their growth and their dominion of in cooperation with God. Christ and the Holy Spirit's work for us and in us makes all of this possible, makes it possible for us to cooperate with God in exercising dominion, and makes it possible for us to grow from wherever we are to wherever he created us to be. It makes that possible for us today. And uh, as we go along, we will uh, talk about how these things can happen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you understand each of us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one here and whatever their questions and thoughts about you and themselves and their own personal fall and their own uh, place in your kingdom and their own uh, measure of growth where they are. I pray that you would meet each of us in our thoughts and feelings about these matters. Continue your good work, and, and Lord, work to uh, show us how to cooperate with you and your good purposes for us. And thank you. Amen.